Good morning, everyone. So glad to see everybody here this morning. We welcome everybody here today, all our visitors, all our listeners on the radio. Uh, what a beautiful morning it is. Our announcements this morning. Uh, our new Bible study, Jesus Among Secular God, starts today in the Ministry Center. If we haven't signed up uh, for a book, don't worry about it. Just show up. Uh, they're going to order more books as needed. Pastor Joel's Gospel Project will take a break until after Easter. You're encouraged to join one of the other adult Sunday school groups until that time. And on Sunday, February 17th, there will be a guided prayer from 8 to 8.45 a.m. in the Heritage Room. During guided prayer, we will read scripture related to specific topics and then pray for three to four minutes on each topic in small groups. We encourage you to attend that. We begin the morning worship with call to worship that comes from the book of Romans, chapter 15, 1 through 7. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might find hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. We will continue with worship by standing and singing hymn number 283, We Are God's People.
the children to come forward for children's chat with Mrs. Lammers. Uh, please take time to greet your neighbors. Good morning. Do you know how excited I am to see all of you little people today? I have been going through little people withdrawal. You see, we had no school Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Yes, I am going through little people withdrawal. Luke, guess who is missing you? Pippa is missing you. Pippa is my puppy that comes to preschool, and she has really been missing little people this week, too. Why didn't we have school this week? It's too snowy. It's too snowy? Icy, cold, yeah. Freezing. That's a good word for it. Freezing. All right. I have a question. What was yesterday? Yesterday was Saturday, right? Was it anything else? Well, I brought my calendar along just in case we would forget what yesterday was. What, what was yesterday? Groundhog's Day. Oh, you didn't see him? Oh, well, guess what? I brought a picture along for you. Look, there he is. Aww. He's a groundhog, guys. His name is Punxsutawney Phil. And do you know, do you know Punxsutawney Phil did not see his shadow? You were right. I know. And do you know what that means? Spring is on its way. That's right. Next question. Can a groundhog determine the weather? No. A groundhog can't tell us the weather. So it would be nice. You're right. So it would be nice if, if we knew for sure when spring was coming, but we don't. We know when it is on the calendar. It's the middle of March, and that's great, too. But... In Ecclesiastes, it tells us to everything there is a reason and a time to every purpose under heaven. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he hath set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. So does God know when it's going to be spring? Yeah, because he has a plan for the whole world, just like he has a plan for each one of you and me and everybody here. He has a plan for each one of us. He knows when the flowers are going to start to bud. He has plans to grow those blossoms and to be beautiful for him. Okay? Now, sometimes things don't go according to plan. Okay? Sometimes we have groundhogs that get in the way and things don't go according to plan but you know what that's okay because god has a plan and that roadblock is part of god's plan and so yeah sometimes sometimes things don't go our way and so god has a plan and we need to remember that and it might be part of something that's good or not so good but that's all part of god's plan and he's there for us okay so Let's remember, God has a plan for each one of us. All right, let's say a quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the warmer weather this morning. Thank you that we were all able to come and join and learn more about you. We know that you have a plan, and we know you're with us all the time, even when those plans aren't what we want them to be. Please be with us this week. Let us get a full week of school in. In your name we pray. Amen. Lost in our service in the last week. Airman First Class Austin R. Burroughs, 22, from Pflugersville, Texas. Also, Senior Airman Luis Navajas, 30. Lord, in prayer together this morning, let's stand and let's sing number 282, The Family of God.
seated. I invite you to pray with me. Father, we are grateful that we are part of the family of God, that you have brought us into your family by the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. It's through him and his sacrifice and his resurrection that our sins are forgiven and that the barrier that separated us from you has been removed. And so we are part of your family, part of your kingdom, and we are grateful for that. And Lord, we are reminded also that that being a part of a family means that when when our family members go through difficult times or our family members suffer, then we suffer along with them. And so this day we remember those who have uh, gone through difficult times, who are dealing with the reality of, of cancer and sickness and illness, those that are struggling with uh, uh, relational issues, Lord, within family or, or struggles at work. Lord, there's, a, there's a, the reality of, of of sin and the consequences of sin in this world, and we are all affected by it. And we don't live, go through life, we don't go through this journey that you've placed us on by ourselves in isolation, but you have placed us within a family uh, that can can encourage us and support us and help us along the way. So, Lord, we ask first that you would you would work in the lives of those who are struggling, uh, those that need healing, we pray for healing, those that need provision, we pray for provision. Those that need to experience and receive grace and forgiveness, we ask that that would take place as well. And Lord, uh, second, we ask that you would enable us and equip us to be an answer to your prayer, where we are able to help, encourage us to do so. Where we where we see a need, um, equip us to meet it. And where we see um, people struggling, uh, Lord, help us to come alongside and be a source of strength and comfort. Uh, Lord, we ask all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This time I'd like to invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward. And we're so grateful to have the choir back with us this morning to bless us with some music.
This morning we continue our sermon series on the Ten Commandments, and if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to uh, open those and turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 1 through 13. And God spoke all of these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them and worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that they may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. Thanks, Adam. Before we pray again, I just want to say it's so nice to see uh, some more of your smiling faces here this morning. I know the last few weeks have not been easy with the weather and the cold and the snow. And so uh, with a little bit of a break, I hear we're supposed to maybe get 50 today and tomorrow. Uh, what a blessing that is. And it's good to see you all out. Not that I don't, I don't blame you for staying home. This weather has been very difficult and very hard to, very hard on many people. And so glad you're able to, to join us again here this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful that you have brought us here to this place to, to worship you, to sing your praises, uh, to lift up our prayers, and now to hear from your word. I thank you, Lord, for those that are here with us today in the sanctuary and those that are listening on the radio. I pray that as we take a look at your word in this uh, continuing uh, study of the Ten Commandments, I pray that you'd give us all grace, help us to understand uh, your will for us, uh, open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So last week I mentioned uh, we, are, we have made a turn here in the study, our study of the Ten Commandments, going from uh, our relationship with God and how we understand Him and relate to Him, and now how we relate to others. And so uh, last week we began with, with honor your mother and father. And it was a good start to this second half of the Ten Commandments because uh, this idea of honoring or respecting those in authority over us, and really by extension, our neighbors, uh, loving our neighbors as ourselves, uh, really lays the foundation and the groundwork for the rest of these commandments, beginning today with you shall not kill and going on with the others as well. Uh, it's interesting that these commandments, uh, there's a danger in them. And it's twofold. And I want to I wanna take a moment and, and explain that. One is that the, the, the danger isn't so much that these, uh, sorry, one of, the, one of the sides is that the Ten Commandments, they reveal our sinful nature. They reveal the struggle that we have because of our brokenness, because of our sin, to truly live up to God's standard. Uh, and that is, that is uh, a very valid and un, um, New Testament perspective on the law and what the Ten Commandments are all about. They point us to the reality of our sin and our need for the Lord and our, for our Savior. But there's a danger on the other side of that as well. And that's by, by looking at the Ten Commandments, especially numbers 5 through 10, and from a surface level perspective, we, fought, we succumb to the danger of fooling ourselves into thinking that we truly can live up to God's standard. You know, if we were to look at these commandments simply from a surface level of don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal stuff, don't be dishonest, don't commit fraud, those sorts of things, it can be very tempting to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, I must be a good person because I've never explicitly done those things. In fact, that's what the rich young ruler struggled with when he approached Jesus in Mark chapter 10. He, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responded by listing off these the second half of these commandments with you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, and so on. And what was the rich young ruler's response? He looks at Jesus and says, well, I've done all of those things since I was a youth. 
right? His danger, the, the trap that he fell into was thinking that he could actually live up to the law of God by looking at it simply from a surface level perspective. Paul says something similar in Philippians chapter 3 verse 6 as he's listing his qualifications and his, his, his human, um, achievements. Paul writes that, that according to, uh, righteousness of the law, he was perfect. Right? According to the letter of the law, he had not done those things that deserved condemnation. But he goes on to say that he finds all those things are worthless compared to knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. See, the problem with sometimes with the Ten Commandments is that it's not too difficult for us to keep, but that we they are too easy when we look at them from that surface level perspective. And so as we continue on this series, as we begin to to dive into these commandments that seem so simple on the surface, I want to encourage us to dig a little deeper and realize that that there's more going on here than simple cold-blooded murder that, that the Lord has in mind. And we will uh, realize that there are a lot of implications and a lot of maybe difficult subjects that come up as a result of, of going beneath the surface and truly looking at what God, what the implications are of this command. And so I want to just encourage us together this morning. Um, the things that we will talk about today are sometimes difficult topics to discuss. And some may even hit close to home for you or your families. And so it's important, it's important for us to not stay away and keep difficult topics at an arm's length. It's important for us to engage those hard conversations. Scripture is bittersweet. There are times when Scripture comforts us and encourages us and gives us hope and, and consoles us when we're, when we're struggling or when we're faced difficult times. And, and Scripture has that purpose and, and it is so valuable to that, to that degree. And that's the sweetness that comes from Scripture. But it's also, it also can be bitter at times, can it? It's bitter when it confronts those hard realities that we see in ourselves or in our world. When it confronts us with truth that isn't so easy to swallow. And so today we're going to be talking about some of those issues that challenge us, that confront our sensibilities. Uh, but we need to remember that, that God's truth is bigger than our presuppositions or our preconceived notions. And his word often confronts us with truth so that we can transform, so that he can transform us more and more into his image. Tim Keller, a pastor, uh, once said, um, and I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing him uh, because I couldn't find the exact quote that I remembered. But it goes along the lines of uh, the idea that if God never challenges or contradicts us, if scripture never challenges or contradicts our sensibilities, then we're not truly worshiping the God of the Bible. We're simply worshiping ourselves and our own ideas. And so today we're going to be, again, looking at some maybe difficult, sensitive things. And, and I want to encourage you to, to engage Scripture, engage this conversation faithfully. Uh, I'm going to do my best to, to stick with Scripture and stick to what God has to say about these topics. Um, and I encourage you to do the same. Don't just take my word for it, but dive into Scripture. Take a look at these passages for yourself and see what God has to say. You know, we must look and understand the world through the lens of Scripture and not Scripture through the lens of the world. In other words, we need, to, we need to get our perspective and get our understanding of right and wrong and truth from Scripture and then apply that to our worldly situations or, or challenges we may face. Instead, all too often we, we face a challenge and we, 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 we go through an experience and we, we believe we learn something from that. And so we take that experience and then apply it to Scripture and interpret Scripture according to that experience. But that's, that's a backwards perspective. We need to start with Scripture, look at what God has to say, and, and begin there and move outward. Um, and when we do that, we'll find that, that no matter uh, what your experiences or perspective or your, or your presuppositions are on certain topics, Scripture will challenge it. Scripture will confront that so that we become more and more like Christ and, and not depending on our own, our own understanding or, or the world's understanding of things. And so as we, as we begin to dive into this passage here about thou shalt not murder, uh, where we realize first and foremost that this commandment is, is, is founded in much more than just, uh, pragmatism or utilitarianism. Right. Almost every society from the dawn of time has had a law on the books about not 
killing other people, right? That's how you have a just orderly society is, is not having to live in fear that someone can off you and get away with it. But the scriptural command here is, is, is grounded in much more than just simple pragmatism and, and, and that sort of thing. The reason why this commandment is central to, to scripture and what it means to follow God is because we as human beings have been made in his image. And so to do violence against another human being or to even take their life is, in a, is, a, is a destruction. It's, a, it's violence against that image that God has placed in each one of us. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, we see this uh, from the very beginning that we have all been made in his image. God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. And the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Notice that this scripture is all-encompassing. It's all people, men and women. As, as, our, as that children's song says, red and yellow, black and white, they are all precious in his sight. We are all God's children. And we've all been made in his image. No matter how distorted or broken or, or misshapen that image has become, we have all still been created in God's image. And so... All people are worthy of the dignity and respect that that carries with it. And so, as I said, violence then against someone, against the human being, is, is violence against that image. Now, I do want to clarify here the, the word that's used in this Exodus passage about uh, you shall not murder is, is a different word than simple simply to kill something. There's a word that's used in Scripture over and over again that's often used when, like, say, for example, a sacrifice is made or, or an animal is killed. Um, but this is not the word here. The word here that's used, you shall not murder, you shall not kill, uh, refers more specifically to the intentional or unintentional accidental killing of, of human beings. And so we're talking here about, about human life, about, about the value that men and women have as image bearers of the Lord. And so Connie and Tori, I want to reassure you, you can kill that spider in your house, right? That's not an issue, right? Um, I told them that there was a lot going on in this sermon as I was digging deeper and deeper into it. And, and their first reaction was, does that mean we can't stomp on the spider as it's coming across the kitchen floor? No, that's not what this is getting at here. What we're talking about here is the value and the worth that human beings have as image bearers of God and to take that seriously. You see, we often justify violence against people when we dehumanize them and, and even dehumanize ourselves as we speak lies and falsehoods um, in our own mind and, and speak those to our, in our heart. So I mentioned humans are our unique image bearers of God. And so, and so the way that we can often justify doing violence or harm against another person is by, by dehumanizing them, by degrading that image, by pretending that they are no greater than that they are somehow less than human, somehow less than image bearers of our Creator. And so, so that in our mind then gives us the permission to then justify or do harm against other people. But that is unbiblical and that is untrue. We must learn to view others, all people, as image bearers of the Lord. You see, life has value from the moment of conception to the final breath because it is a gift from God. And we have been made in his image to disregard life, to, to set that aside as if that does not matter is a, is, is a dishonor to God's image and the gift that he has given us that life truly is. So as we look at what it means to not murder another person, we need to take that consideration seriously as we flesh out the implications of what it means to not murder another person. We need to understand that, that in every situation, in all these circumstances, that people have been created in God's image. And to do harm or violence against that is to do harm and violence against that image that God has placed in us. And if that's true, if the image of God is in us from the, from the moment of conception to our final breath, and that has implications on some of those more maybe hot-button issues that are often in the news and, and, or, or realities in our world today. And so I want to take a few moments this morning. By no means am I going to be able to do justice to every topic here. My, 
there's there what I say may raise more questions than I have time to answer. And so, one, I apologize for that. Um, I'm going to do my best to cover what I can and do so in a way that reflects Scripture. Uh, but also know that, that what I say may raise questions in your mind and may um, prompt you to, to think, well, what about this or what about that? And I encourage you to ask those questions. Uh, speak with me after the service or send me an email. Um, I've actually, looking out into further into the year, this summer I'm hoping to do a series on uh, like tough questions of the faith, You know, things that we often maybe struggle with but don't talk about a whole lot. And so this may prompt you to think of something that, that fits in that category, and I encourage you to write it down and share that with me um, in looking forward to that series. Uh, but I want to just, again, uh, ask for your, your grace and your, uh, your understanding as we tackle these subjects today. There's things that, I, as I said earlier, I may say that may not sit well with you, and I encourage you uh, to, to not just take my word for it, but to look at Scripture, to look at it from God's perspective, and have a continuing conversation after this. Uh, there's only so much that can be said in 20 minutes, and there's a lot that will be covered here. So the first thing that I think is, is important for us to, to talk about implications of this commandment um, has actually been in the news quite a bit recently, and that is the topic of abortion. As I mentioned, we have we are, that image of God has implanted us in humans, and that, I believe, comes from the moment a person is conceived. You know, biologically or, or in genetically speaking, you know, that, that child is unique and different from both mother and father. You know, whether you refer to it as a, as, as a, a fetus or a lump of cells or a, an unborn child, the reality is that that person has its own unique biology and DNA, and it's important for us to recognize that. And Scripture reminds us of this truth as well before... Before the advancements in modern science, we see from Scripture that uh, the reality of this truth. In passages like Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, David, the psalmist writes, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. Also in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, as, as Jeremiah is receiving this call from the Lord, uh, the Lord reminds him that, that he knew him before he was in his mother's womb. That, that, that the Lord knew Jeremiah before that time. We've all been created by the Lord, and, and that is true from the very beginning. Abortion may seem like it's a modern-day issue, but in reality it's something that, that God's people and, and have been have been uh, teaching about, and it's from, from the very beginning. One of the very first uh, instructions of the early church, if I may say that, that is outside of Scripture, is, is a, a, a teaching called the Didache, uh, which is simply Greek for teaching. And in it, it has basic instructions on what it means to follow Christ. Um, kind of trying to summarize the basic teachings of Christianity. And in, in, in the second book, in the, in the second chapter, in the second verse there, we see this instruction to not, co- not commit abortion or, or kill an infant. So even from the early days of the early church, this has been the stance uh, and understanding of God's people. But it's not just as simple as saying abortion is bad. We, if we're pro-life, we need to be pro-life from conception to final breath. That means that we must care about more than preventing abortions. We need to offer real help, whether that's financial, medical, or emotional, for women and men who find themselves facing this situation. I think of wonderful ministries like the Elizabeth New Life Pregnancy Center and, and even Cheryl Reed at Young Lives, who works specifically with teen moms and helping them through this difficult time. You know, we need to support ministries and be willing to, to extend that same help as we are able to do so. You know, as we tackle this issue, it's more than just about changing certain laws, or although that may, is, is a good thing, but the issue is deeper than that. It's a heart issue. And so we need to transform our own hearts. We need, to, we need to work on transforming the hearts of our culture in order to see and value life as, as it uh, truly is. Another, another modern, maybe hot-button issue uh, that 
that deals with this reality is, is suicide and euthanasia. This idea that, that we are able to, to decide for ourselves when our lives will end. And I don't want to spend our time this morning getting into specifics because whether it's abortion, whether it's suicide and euthanasia, whether it's uh, the issue of war and self-defense and the death penalty, these issues hit close to home. And I know that because I've experienced it as well. Uh, and so, and so I don't take these lightly and I don't, I don't stand up here and want to just sound like a theologian spurting off, uh, systematic theology to all of you. I know that there is real pain and real hurt when it comes to these issues, especially this one. We've seen an epidemic of suicide, especially young, among young people, but it's not just young people in recent years. And, and I feel like no family, no, no community is immune to the effects of it. And so I stand up here and tell you that, that no matter the situation and no matter the circumstances, the, the truth is that your life is precious to God, even if you don't feel like it is at that time. That your life has value, your life has worth, even if you can't see it. And I want to encourage you to, to, to hold on to that, even when it's hard, the hardest to believe that it's true. You know, I believe Satan's favorite lie is, is to whisper in our ears that no one understands or could possibly know what I'm going through. The truth is that there is someone, there, there are others, there are people that understand and can sympathize with you, but even more so than, than the humans that, that we can surround ourselves with, our family and friends, we have a Savior who knows what it's like to suffer. In Hebrews chapter 4, the author teaches us that Jesus, our great high priest, suffered just as we have. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We don't have a, we don't worship a God who is immune to the sufferings and the reality of hardship in our world. Jesus himself suffered immense physical and emotional pain. Jesus himself was abandoned by his friends and left alone. Jesus himself did not want to go on. He prayed in the garden that if there was any other way for this to happen, to, to please take this cup from me. He didn't want to go through with it, but he did. And it was for our sake that he did so. So know that, that your life has worth, your life has value, and, and even if it feels like no one else can understand what you're possibly going through, you can bring that to the Lord. But I encourage you, in addition to that, in, in, in bringing your, 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 your feelings, your, your, your grief to the Lord, also bring it to someone who can help. Speak out, reach out for help if you are struggling with those thoughts. Because your life does have value. You are loved and you are worth it. Another common issue that we, uh, that are, have implications here, I believe, is, is capital punishment, the death penalty. Scripture teaches us that vengeance belongs to the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 35. He says, vengeance is mine. It's, it's God's responsibility and it's, it's, it falls on Him to repay us for our sins and, and in accordance with what we deserve. And so I believe even, even in cases of, of extreme violence and, and, and horrible crimes, you know, deciding to take another person's life is, is playing God on our part. It's, it's taking that prerogative for ourselves that truly and only belongs to God. And, and, and we may point to the Old Testament and say, what about these passages that call for people to be stoned or people to be put to death for their crimes or their sins? Well, Israel was a very different society than we are today. They were under God's direct authority and God's direct rule uh, as a, the, the understanding of God's people was that he was their king and they were directly subject to them. In our world, that is not the case. 
America is not Israel, right? We, we don't live under that same sort of jurisdiction or same sort of uh, uh, law. And so uh, it does not correlate one to one. In fact, it's in Christ that we see all of that punishment and all of that, all of the, the, the uh, consequences of our crimes and our sins were taken upon Christ on the cross. So we don't have to bear it anymore. And in Ezekiel, God reminds us that he does not delight in the death of the wicked. And so we need to honor that as well. In Scripture and in other uh, ancient societies, there was the law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? And we look at that and think, well, there's capital punishment right there. There's, there's equal punishment for the crime. But, but what that law was actually doing was reigning in violence. Because at that, in that day and age, the common, common punishment was, was um, you know, you, you take my eye, I take your life. You break my tooth, I kill your family. Right. And so so that law was actually reining in and restricting violence and preventing it from escalating any further. And so with that same sort of mindset, we also need to to try to rein in our tendencies to respond with violence. What might be some exceptions to this rule? I believe there are uh, there are situations where as as tragic and as hard as it may be, there is sometimes justified responses. Scripture points to self-defense as, as a justified uh, reason for, for potentially taking a person's life, but that does not give full, full clearance to, to, to use lethal force in those situations. Exodus 22, verses 2 and 3 remind, points out that, that if an intruder breaks in your house at night and you, res, and, and, and you defend yourself with violence and take their life, you are not guilty of that crime. But if it happens during the day when you would be able to see what's going on and respond more accordingly, then you are guilty of that life that is taken. So there's some responsibility and some, some uh, understanding there that, that violence, although necessary sometimes to defend your family or defend yourself, still is not uh, something, not, should not be our first response. It should not be taken lightly. And to expand that analogy, we also have this idea of just war, right? When is it okay for us as, as nations, as, as governments, to go and, and wage war against other people? In war, there is the taking of life. You cannot get around that. So how do we handle that situation? I, I don't believe that war is ever a good thing. Now, let me clarify what I mean by that. War is never a good thing in the sense that it's, it, it is it is good and, and lasting and eternal. War is sometimes necessary as a last resort when, when, there's the, when, when people that, that need to be protected need to be protected from the evil that is in this world. Uh, but it is never something that should be celebrated or glorified as a good thing. Does that make sense? We should never take it lightly as if going to war is a video game that we can just operate from the comfort of our own home. No matter what war we are talking about, the reality is bloodshed and death by soldiers on both sides of the conflict, by innocent people caught in harm's way. And that is never something that should be just taken lightly or thrown around as if it was a a good and wonderful thing to experience. I think a great example of this from history is a, a Christian pastor and theologian by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer who lived and, and uh, ministered during the rise of Hitler in Nazi Germany. Bonhoeffer had a chance to escape, come to America. He was actually here for a time and, and, and decided to return in order to try to pastor and minister to those who were not as fortunate as him to escape. And at one point he was even arrested for contributing and, and participating in a plot to assassinate Hitler. And in fact, he was killed just days before his prison camp was liberated by the Allied forces. But in his writings, you see the struggle between, as him as a Christian pastor and theologian, how do I justify participating in something that would end another person's life? And to oversimplify his pages and pages and pages of, 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 of thinking on this subject, his point was that his participation was not a good thing in fact, would be called evil 
in the sight of God, but it would have been even worse. It would have been more evil to allow someone like Hitler to continue unabated. Do you see, see the difference there? It's not that Hitler, or it's not that, that Bonhoeffer said, man, this is a good thing. I can't wait to participate in this. He realized the gravity of the situation. He realized the struggle of conscience that that was. But yet he was able to come down and say there was a necessary, it was something that was necessary in order to stop even more evil from happening. Sometimes there are times when it's necessary to defend peace, but we should never take it lightly. And finally, there's, uh, we need to, to remember that Jesus himself transforms this commandment for us. Jesus takes it from the surface level of simply taking another person's life, but also includes hate and anger and vengeance and puts it on the same level as murder. We see this in Matthew chapter 5. I, I, we don't have the time today to look at it, but I encourage you to read it on your own. The motivation of the heart is just as important as our actual <clears throat> physical actions. And so don't let your anger control you. Don't, don't allow that to consume you. It's not enough to just say, well, I didn't kill the person. We need to also understand that the, the attitudes of our heart and our, our view of other people also is violence toward them in, in Christ's eyes. And we also need to learn to love and do good to our enemies as well, also from Matthew chapter, 20, 25, chapter 5. It's not difficult to love those who love you in return. Everyone is able to do that. But Christ calls us to something greater. The true test of faith is loving and caring for and protecting our enemies and those that are different from us. And so we must learn to live the opposite. To truly embody this commandment, we must also help care for and protect others. It's not, a ju- it's not enough to just not harm them, but we also should actively work towards their good and towards keeping people out of harm's way. We need to work for their well-being. Scripture reminds us in the New Testament that to love God and hate your neighbor is incompatible with our faith. James 3, 9-10 through 10 reminds us that we can't both praise God and in the same breath curse our neighbor. 1 John 3.15 says that if we truly hate our neighbor, then we can't really love God. We, can't, we don't truly understand our faith. And so we must strive for peace and for unity as we're able to, to do it. In Romans 12, we see that uh, Paul encourages us that as far as it depends on you, as far as we're able to live at peace with one another and to not return evil with evil, but, but repay evil with good. And so we must not also participate in anything that contributes to the harm of others. We don't want to be party with things that are, that are leading to, to another person's end. And that has a whole list of implications as well that we don't have time for today, unfortunately. But I want to end with this because we do have communion today. There's hope here. There's grace here. There's redemption here. Because we worship a God who himself was murdered. Christ died on the cross. He suffered. Was, he was the only one who was ever innocent. And yet he was killed. He was put on that cross. And it wasn't a group of people 2,000 years ago that did it. It was us. It was me. It was you. We all participated in that because it was our sin that caused him to be there. It was because of our sin and our unrighteousness that he decided to lay down his life, allow himself to be killed so that we could be redeemed. There's a song by the Sidewalk Prophets that says it's called You Loved Me Anyway. And I want to I close with these words. This is the the bridge of the song. It says, I am the thorn in your crown, but you love me anyway. I am the sweat from your brow, but you love me anyway. I am the nail in your wrist, but you love me anyway. I am Judas's kiss, but you love me anyway. See, now I am the man who yelled out from the crowd for your blood to be spilled on this earth-shaking ground. Yet then I turned away with a smile on my face, with the sin in my heart tried to bury your grace. And then alone in the night, I still call out for you, so ashamed of my life, but you loved me anyway. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you do love us. That though we have all been affected by sin, and and in a sense we we are all murderers at heart, because of our anger towards others and our sin against you. You have loved us anyway.
So help us to find redemption and grace in that moment. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing the first verse of number 274, Break Thou the Bread of Life. we take communion today, we are reminded of what Christ did on our behalf. And as we talked about some very difficult topics tonight and, and some things that maybe hit a little close to home for you or your family, know that there is hope. Because no matter what you have gone through, no matter what decisions you have made, no matter what pain and hardship you have gone through, that God loves us anyways. That God has loved us with such a great love that He gave Himself for us. That He endured the, the suffering and the hardship of the cross so that we can be redeemed. And that none of us, none of us are without hope. Because when Christ died on the cross, when He gave us the gift of salvation, it was not just a one-time thing. It wasn't just for the sins we'd already committed, but it was for all of our sins from all time, past, present, and future. So no matter what decisions you've made, no matter what, what you've experienced, know that your, God's forgiveness is still available to you through the end. And that's what we remember when we take communion. That His blood that was shed for us, His body that was broken for us, ensured our salvation through Christ because it's not dependent on us. It's dependent wholly and completely on Him. Father, we are thankful that it doesn't depend on us, but it depends completely on You. Help us to take that to heart this day as we celebrate Your death and Your resurrection in our own hearts. We thank You for the gift of this juice and this bread which reminds us of that reality. And I pray that as we take it this morning, that You would... Equip us and encourage us to, to receive that grace by faith. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Paul said, I've received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he given thanks, he broke it, said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took this cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is broken for you. Feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is shed for you, a new covenant made in his blood so that our sins could be forgiven. Take and drink, knowing that he died for you. Father, we are grateful for your gift to us, your free gift of grace. I pray now that as we go from this place, as we've been nourished spiritually by your body and blood, We pray that you would um, equip us to live for you from this day forward. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may go in peace.